Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This summer season, we are talking about the book Companions and Suffering, Comfort in Times of Loss and Loneliness by Wendy Alsop. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Aaron and me in conversation today are Rachel Balducci and Gabby Brucker. So, Rachel, I want you to tell us a little bit about how you and Gabby know each other, but then I want all three of you, Aaron, Rachel, and Gabby, to chime in on how the three of you know each other, because there's some fun connections. Yeah, so Gabby and I met years ago at the pool. We go to the Montclair pool. Um, neither of us live in that neighborhood, and we just became friends, because Gabby is just super easy to be friends with. I mean, she's just the best. So, we've just kept that friendship up, and then look here and there we'll do things like not in the summertime but really it's just so great to to connect with each other there but I always say like at the end of the summer I'm like let's get together sometime during the year and then it's the next summer already then the then the year goes by just like that well the pool makes it so easy because you go and you sit right and your kids swim you do the thing and you get to talk but obviously life picks up after the summertime yeah and especially the season we're in now I mean I had a lot of years where I didn't know anybody at the pool because I was just chasing little Mm -hmm. kids the whole time you know so it's nice then all of a sudden your kids get old enough and you can actually sit and talk you know read a book exactly talk talk about books really fun so Kind of like y'all got together recently, you said, though, and talked about Flannery O'Connor. So yes, you uh, did it. Yeah. Uh, May. We talked about it, and then they went, she and another friend went and visited Andalusia. So it was really That's cool. right. Yeah, yeah, we knew. I think my friend Lacia knew that Rachel had talked about Flannery O'Connor a lot. And Lacey and I had both read one story, but we were going to teach our kids about Flannery O'Connor. So we wanted to meet with somebody who really loved Flannery O'Connor and talk about that. And um, and so it was really helpful to yeah. to meet with Rachel. And, and then, yeah, went to Andalusia and... All right, well, Aaron, come into this because you know the two of these ladies as well. So what's your connection to them? Okay, so Gabby and I, obviously, we both go to First Pres, and she's just somebody I admire from afar. Like, I see you doing your homeschool thing and loving it, and it's just like, wow, how fun. I feel like we've run into each other at Target. At Target just, a couple times, and that's yes, been really fun. That's where I make all my friends. Yeah, Target love, and TJ yeah, Maxx. absolutely. Target, Publix for me. So, Publix, yeah. yes. Well, Costco, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I love right. that when you mentioned Costco, I was like, obviously, Soul Sisters. That's right. <laughs> so Rachel and I know each other because um, she and my husband grew up together. I lived with her little sister for a short time, which caused me to fall in love with old houses and just lots of connections. Her brother was over at our house this week because our kids are friends and yeah, just a small world. So we are set to enjoy a good conversation with all of these connections. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we've done a little bit of an intro, but we're going to go a little more into that. So I'm going to ask you all the first things first question. We always do that first thing. Before you answer it, give a brief bio and then answer the question. So the first thing's first question is, if someone offered to bake you something special for your birthday, what is the first thing you would request? And Rachel, you kick us off. Okay, so I tell you about my family. I'm just so eager. Like the minute I saw that question, I was like, I get to just share my love for this item. So I'm Rachel Valducci. I'm married to Paul. He's an attorney in town and we have six kids. Five of them are boys. Four of them are college age and two still live at home. Well, it's just so complicated at this age. Two you know three of them are roommates down the street they rent a house together right down the road from us which is really cool and then we have a son who's just graduated from UGA last year and is hoping to go to law school next year so he's back at home and then a seventh grader and a ninth grader and then all those big boys so that's the season I'm in of like a revolving door the other day somebody came in I was sitting quietly in the home for just a moment and a door opened and I said nobody better be bringing any laundry in this house and uh, then I felt bad I was like but welcome and I love you so much and I'm so glad to see you Uh, so that's me and um Let's see. I work at, I'm a writer and a speaker, and I co-host a show on Catholic TV called The Gist. Um, And I also teach journalism at Augusta University. And my hobbies, 
just all that other stuff that I just mentioned, I think, you know, so um, spending time with my family and having fun. And if someone were to bake me something special for my birthday, and it happens every year, because now I've trained everybody to do this for me, (laughs) is a, it's very simple, classic brownie sundae. So it's the brownie the homemade Hershey's syrup that you can make, like it's got a little bit of an extra like body to it, not yes. the thin ice cream, whipped cream, and a cherry on top. Yum. The best. Classic. Yeah. Thank you for asking. I was so <laughs> yeah. excited to share that. Well, I got, I've got to know what age were these boys when they learned to make the classic Sunday without destroying your kitchen? Or did they still destroy your kitchen? They don't the destroy it too bad. Okay. Yeah, they're able to be pretty neat about things. And I will say, speaking of laundry, okay, we have a weird thing where. They bring the laundry over and they get it started, but I'm always happy to just have people not in my laundry room, so I move it through for them. And they almost never have socks that don't have pairs. And I just feel like that's mom goals. Like, my Mm. work here is done. I don't know how they do it, but all the socks have a matching sock. Wow. So you and That's... I can meet afterwards for tutoring lessons <laughs> because I have three boys and I thought you were going to say, I never know. I can't understand why none of their socks have matches. That's my, that's my life. None of their socks have matches. I'm like, so. I don't know what I did to train did them something. so well, but they did good. Yeah, that's amazing. Good. Yep. Yeah. Small miracle. Very good. Yes. I yes. mean, I don't have all boys, but I need tutoring in that for sure for all of us. None yeah. of us have mm-hmm. matches. We have Same. like all mismatched socks, all the <laughs> big pile of uh-huh. Yeah, I have my little basket with all the lonely socks, and then I will pull it out every weekend. The make key pairs. is to get rid of that, but we can talk oh. again. Another podcast for another time. I try to get rid, and then they just pop back. That just, Do you yes. all own the same socks? Is that no, the key? No, and it's okay. like all these unique pairs, and mm. I'll be folded. I'm like, I wonder if this is the time that there's going to be like an unmatched sock, and lo and behold, they're just all right there. But I, but I will say recently, one of the boys, his laundry had three that were not, that okay, didn't have good. matches. Well, so I'm good. like, okay, the streak's over. Like, just take that <laughs> pressure off of myself. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, the truth is, Rachel is a laundry expert, as we know. If we've watched her little, when she used to do her, was that your Instagram Yes, stories? I would do laundry talk. Her yeah. laundry talk. It was so fun to watch her in her laundry room doing that. It was really enjoyable. So I'm, I got kicked off Instagram, so I'm not on right now. But I'm, I'll get back on something. Okay. But. <laughs> we'll carry on with that, yes. with that vein of thought. Yeah. yeah. And give us a little bit more information about yourself. So I'm Gabby Brecker. I'm married to Mark. Um, We were high school sweethearts. We grew up in Augusta. We actually now live in the house next door to my parents in Waverly. And so so that's really fun that we're – I live next door to my childhood home. And um, we have five kids and three college graduates as of – Friday. How Nick, about that? Nick, my oldest, graduated from college on Friday. He took a meandering path through and wasn't sure that he wanted to finish, but the last two years he knew he did, and he did, and so that was really fun. We were at his Congrats. graduation in Tennessee yeah. on Friday, and then my next daughter lives in Boise, um, Idaho, and she just got married. Um, Good Friday, so that's exciting. And then the next one, twenty-two, graduated from college in December, and she's getting married next february so we're just in this season you, you got know? people actually launching which yes, is great yes yes yes, yes. So, <laughs> and then the two youngest are 17 they're both 17 um and we they're six months apart so our kids are our two oldest are 13 months apart then we have one right in the middle and the, the two youngest are six months apart we did adopt and have biological children and i love i love that and mm-hmm. um anyway hobbies reading talking about books with friends 
kind of part of two different book clubs now at 50, kind of started doing that. Before, I was like, I don't want to be in a book club. They talk about symbolism and the unhidden meaning. I don't want any of that. I just want to talk about books with my friends and just, you know, underline things and share. And so now we do that, and I love it. It's been such a blessing. So, um, And then, like, playing games, hiking, birding is kind of aspiration, but not really. I mean, now, have you seen these little memes about birds like when you're this age like you never cared about birds your whole life and yes. all of a sudden now you're like oh wait the bird. you know that i feel like i'm like that so can you name them all like you know all the names not really no, no. no i'm trying i try to use my little merlin thing to get the okay. same you know, to, okay. to hear that so anyway i'm a homeschool mom um but that job will end at the end of next year oh, so wow. um but i'm not worried about being bored because there's a lot to do still you mm-hmm. know and i can always be a receptionist for mark at the vet clinic and we have four elderly parents i mean mm-hmm. still living and lots of things to do with them and um grandchildren on the way soon it's so, exciting so oh and dessert i mean i wish i had trained people i don't really train people <laughs> and mark is not yeah. i mean there's been there have been years where i'm like there was no there's no birthday cake, you know, but my mom is really good about it. So she'll ask me. So caramel, like a caramel cake is mm. what I would say if somebody asked me. And like my the mom old school hot icing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to give like a false impression because nobody's lining up to make anything for me. Yeah. They can do it if I ask, but it's not like, what could we like produce for you that would surprise you? No. I'm literally like, start planning in advance. I like Mother's Day is coming up and I was like, Paul, can you let the boys know this is what I'd like to do? And then I was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to reach out to everybody on my own. Like, you know, so that I don't sit back and get my feelings hurt about mismatched expectations. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's good. You're just making yourself more likable over there. <laughs> Please don't think that all my socks are matched and my children made me something every birthday. Don't you worry don't about it. That is not true. Haters. Yes. <laughs> not to worry. Yeah, yeah. In the event that any of my friends listen to this, they'd be like, the Balducci boys are not cooking for their mother. Yeah, that is not true. No baking going on. Misrepresentation. Yes. All right. Right. Here, what about you? Okay, for dessert for my birthday, I think I'm not, first of all, my birthday's in December, so it is like the month of forgotten birthdays. Not to be all pity party, but you know, it it is. It's like all the whirlwind. It's kind of like May, you know, it's a big month, lots going on. Always treats around too. So it's not like, do I really want another treat? But my favorite treat, if probably not on my birthday, but just in general, are not to be too specific, brown butter, salted chocolate chip cookies. So, you know, that's probably my my favorite. Fresh out of Do you still bake a lot? Not really. I'll make Brad a pound cake here and there just because of my love for him. But yeah, that's about it. We buy a lot of birthday cakes at Costco. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you make yourself the brown butter salted? Yeah. Well, Z, my oldest likes to cook, so he will get in there with me. And some of the other kids like to cook, too. So they'll want to like dump chocolate chips, but also mess. Like, oh, my word, there are chocolate mm-hmm. chips everywhere. Right. And you ate half of them and, all you know, mm-hmm. baking with little kids. <laughs> but I'll usually get it started and they'll want to help. Okay. And eat a lot of raw cookie dough. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mine somewhat like to help. And they can make certain things. I knew when my oldest could make homemade whipped cream. Whipped mm. cream. I felt like that was, you That's know, something to yes. It's yes. not really. It's very basic level, but it sounded <laughs> it's posh. So I'd be like, yes, he knows absolutely. how to make homemade whipped cream. I mean, cream. <laughs> the fact that he acknowledges that it is a superior to ready whip. Yeah, that's Yeah, that's true. Like that's well, a big I, I'm not going to say he acknowledges that, but <laughs> my, my children have that kind of taste that you're, you really, you want Kraft mac and cheese instead of homemade mac and cheese? Okay. <laughs> 
they'll grow out of it. You're like, no, who cares <laughs> yeah. though? It's right. like, sounds great. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. Well, I'm kind of with you, Gabby. My boys don't make birthday cakes, but they, by their dad's lead, always come up with some type of treat. I am kind of a treat girl and it just sort of depends on my mood, what kind of treat I want. But my mom makes a cheesecake and we live 12 hours away. She's in Indiana. I'm here. So she's rarely here for my birthday. But often when I go home, she'll make cheesecake. And the funny thing is, it's a big cheesecake and it's just the right consistency. It's just the right proportion of cheesecake to icing. I love it. She loves it. And we will eat off of that thing for however long I'm there. Is it two days? Is it three days? Is it a week? It is cheesecake for breakfast. It is cheesecake for lunch. It is cheesecake for dessert. And I really love cheesecake for breakfast with a slice of, I mean, a little slice of cheesecake with some black tea, Mm, something like that. And so what's funny though about us is we will put the cheesecake in the fridge and nobody really acknowledges that we're going to eat it all week, but we do. And so everybody (laughs) takes out, well, my mom and I, Tiny little slice, tiny right. little slice, <laughs> tiny little slice, because we want to prolong right. the enjoyment. Like, absolutely. You know? We want to wait until that moment when it's all gone. We like the waiting. The waiting is enjoyable because we're enjoying. Right. But, you know, we're going to talk about something today where waiting is not enjoyable. It's easy to stay in joy. It's hard to wait and stay in grief and suffering. And that's going to be one of our topics today. And we're also going to be discussing that we don't wait alone. We're, we're talking about chapters 9, 10, and 11 in Wendy's book. She talks about waiting, but then she talks about the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us that know what it is to wait by faith. And then she talks about the rock and that foundation that we have in our waiting. So we're going to talk about all three of those things, but we're going to start with the waiting. And I'm just going to le- read a little portion from Wendy's book. This is chapter nine, because she describes her waiting like this. And she says, circumstances that led to my divorce are not ones that I am free to detail in this book. Suffice it to say that I could see the train that threatened to destroy my family coming slowly but steadily down the tracks. Our family stuck in a car in its path. But my desperate efforts to get us out of the car and off the tracks were ineffective, sometimes even seeming to speed up the train heading toward us rather than helping us to escape it. I prayed desperately for God to supernaturally intervene because my efforts seemed to make things worse, not better. But the train kept coming, demolishing our family unit and everything we knew up to that point together as a family of four. In my mind, God could have intervened earlier than he did. He could have picked up the train and removed it from our path. He could have picked up our car and removed us from the train's path. But I waited and no rescue came. My divorce was final and my life left broken in pieces around me. I am not the first person to look desperately for God's intervention and be left numbered in the aftermath of the devastation from his decision to wait. During that season, I was working on a book on God's interactions with women in the Gospels, and I found much to ponder in Jesus' interaction with Mary and Martha about their brother's death recorded in John 11. Their story echoed aspects of mine, and their emotions reflected the emotions that I felt. So if you're listening and you're unfamiliar with the story of Mary and Martha in John chapter 11, just a brief recounting, their brother, brother Lazarus, who was a dear friend of Jesus, he was sick. And Mary and Martha sent to Jesus. Jesus, by this time, had done many public miracles. They had a belief that he had the ability to heal Lazarus. They sent to him. They said, the one that you love is sick. And Jesus, when he received that news, said that this sickness will not lead to death. It is for the glory of the Lord. And then John makes the note, because he loved Mary and Martha, 
He waited two days until he went to them. And by the time he got there, Lazarus had died. He was in the tomb. His body was beginning to rot. Mary and Martha, who loved Jesus, they believed in his healing power and his love for them and their brother. And yet they were utterly brokenhearted by the outcome of Jesus's delay. So John tells us that Jesus not only met them in their sorrow, that's that famous short verse, Jesus wept, but he had also prepared them for it. And I didn't realize this, but if you scoop backwards a little bit in the book of John, you see Mary and Martha, some of us are familiar with that account. Martha is always known to be like the person who wants to do everything all the time and busy. And Mary likes to sit and be still. But the real point was that Mary had chosen the better thing. And in that moment, she had chosen the precedence of sitting and receiving Jesus's words. And it was that reception of Jesus's words that was preparing her for what was about to come. So Jesus entered into that sorrow and he also prepared Mary and Martha for that sorrow. And yet they felt it. And they they went to him and said, why? Why weren't you here? Why didn't you come? So I wanted us to talk about that a little bit. How can we relate to that experience? And have y'all experienced God waiting to intervene in your suffering until it seemed too late? And if somebody like Mary or Martha, or last week we talked about Job, if they were to be sitting across from you at a table, what kind of encouragement do you expect that they could give you in your waiting? Well, absolutely. There have been times where just the suffering I was in felt like just endless, just so long. And like, it's just not going to, I mean, there's not going to be an answer. There's not going to be a resolution to this. It feels like what I thought about when I was um, thinking about that was about quicksand. And I thought about quicksand because remember we talked about quicksand a lot growing up. I never talk about quicksand anymore, but now mm-hmm. that with my friends are always talking <laughs> yeah. about quicksand, you know, but, um, but yeah, that it felt like that, just like, just that, pulling you down, you know, and just feeling like, is the Lord, is is he going to come? You know, and so I felt like when you talked about asking, what would Job or Mary or Martha say? I thought, I thought about all of them. I was thinking, and the author. I mean, because I really went what the author said about, you know, and so um, from Job, feeling like I have permission to voice my lament. You yeah. know, that um, that I can voice my deep struggle with God, that I can lament what God has allowed to happen, but then remember the hope of a Redeemer that um, that is there, that, that, that who stands perfectly in my place. And, um, and then the second thing was that God exists in the middle of my ongoing suffering and that I need to be looking day by day for the manna he provides and accepting it as it comes. So those were the things I felt from Job. Um, and then for Mary Martha, I love the way she talked about Jesus um, feeling the turbulence with them. And when she talked about the turbulence of Martha with her household order being disrupted, that whole thing, I mm-hmm. just thought that was great, that he feels the turbulence with me in the waiting. Um, and then they would remind me that Jesus entered into their suffering and he enters it with me. And then he walks into it with us, bearing bearing it with us and calls us to enter into it as well. It just made me think then about, and then there's a quote, was, as we wait on his kingdom to be fully realized and all that was lost in the fall to be restored, I am comforted that Jesus walks with me in the waiting, feeling the unrest and turbulence I feel with love for me and a vision for his own glory. And that reminded me of 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And that, that verse has been... You know, I have walked through these hard times, this suffering, that then he has brought me this comfort. He's been with me in it. And then that comfort has overflowed, and I've been able to walk with other people 
who are walking through that same kind of thing. And that has happened again and again throughout my life. I appreciate that reminding the fact that he's in it with us, that he shares in that turbulence. And Wendy mentioned in the first episode that we did that she realized that she wasn't a pawn. Like, okay, so this is when Jesus says this is for God's glory. You could feel that if I'm waiting and you're going to do something or whatever it is, I am underneath your sovereign hand and you get glory for it, but I'm just sort of a pawn. You move me here, you do this, you move it. But the fact that he entered into that dispelled that idea. Yes, yes, absolutely. I love that, um, the, just the reality of, of God's humanity um, and that he really does like enter in, you know, he gets down there with us in the middle of it and he was human. He wept like he had these human emotions. And I think I've gone through seasons where I think that the closer I am to the Lord, the less things will bother me. Like I get agitated with somebody who treats me in a way that I don't appreciate or, you know, some like things, people's opinions stick to me and I don't appreciate it. And that somehow the the holier I become, the less that will bother me. And the reality is like Jesus was a human and he had human emotions. A couple of years ago, Paul and I went to the Holy Land. And one of the places we went is a place that you really don't hear very much about. And it's called the Sacred Pit. And it's where they lowered Jesus after the Last Supper and before he went before Pontius Pilate. And he, I mean, we went down into that place and they lowered him using a rope. Now there are steps, you know, um, and it was dark and he was in there. And um, a couple of years ago, like not long after we got back, my mom was going through some really scary health stuff. It looked like she had dementia. It looked, I mean, it really looked like something just, you know, really bad was going on. And I remember feeling really sad and scared. And, um, and it was like, God reminded me that like he was there in the pit with me, you know, he was in that sacred pit. And we have those times, you know, where we where we have things. And of course, I'm, you know, my dad died four months ago. So the reality of all of this is ultimately, we're all going to die. And I, um, and I don't want to be like that. Like somebody came up to me, not it had just been a few days since my dad died. And we, the funeral was like a week later, because we just had, you know, my brother was coming in from Utah, he had been there when my dad died, which was just like, really one of the most beautiful things like, and I guess I want to end, I want to start where I would end, which is God showed up so powerfully, even in that moment of my dad dying, that you can't help but believe that all the things he says are real, you know, like he comforts us in the middle of that. But you know, you also don't want to be blase about it. Like I ended up, you know, taking Isabel to a volleyball tournament and somebody came up who knew me and was like, I'm so sorry about your dad. And I'm like, you know, I mean, the only thing that really brings me comfort comfort is it's going to happen to everybody. And she was like, and I'm like, sorry, sorry, except for you. You (laughs) I didn't want to make it weird. But you know, you kind of have that moment, like there is comfort in the fact that I think we get in our human mind that we're going to outrun this thing. And and we can't live at that level, of course, you know. Um, But I love this. uh, My friend, Father Tim, sent this to me this morning. He didn't know I was going to be on here talking about this, but I love this so much. He said, the peace which the world offers us is the peace of escape, the peace which comes from the avoidance of trouble and from refusing to face things. The peace which Jesus offers us is the peace of conquest. No experience of life can ever take it from us, and no sorrow, no danger, no suffering can ever make it less. It is independent of our outward circumstances. And that was from William Barclay, who was just reflecting on today's gospel, on the gospel of this day. You know, so like we're so in our human mind, I think we think God didn't show up if I had to walk through something. And the reality is he really, he is there with us in the middle of it. And then sometimes we get the results we want, um, and sometimes it's not God's time, and then sometimes it's not at all what we would have wanted and we don't see God's hand in it, 
Or maybe what we see is something a little bit further down the road and we look back and it was like God was working. Love hearing what you ladies have to say about that and just the piece that you're talking about, Rachel, and that how you're describing just moments of waiting and longing for that deliverance. And I think of it in my own life and how a lot of times when my holiness is waning, let's be honest, like I feel like I'm bringing instead of my lament to the Lord and my honest crying out for deliverance from sin and death that we're all going to walk through, that I'm oftentimes bringing accusation like Mm. How could you leave me here in the pit instead of just asking for his deliverance, asking for his nearness? Because that is the hope that we claim is that his peace is with us, that he's a God with us, God. But I was thinking about this too, just so often. I, don't, I know you all have kids. And so just how when I see my child suffering, my cry is so different to the Lord, like, Lord, hurry and deliver him or else he might his his faith might fail. Like, I don't mm. want my child to be in a tough spot because I don't want him to think that his prayers have gone unanswered instead of talking to my child about, hey, listen, listen things aren't always going to shake down in our the way that we had hoped or in our favor instead of just trusting them to have that open and honest conversation. I'm like, Lord, hurry and deliver him quick. And I know that's probably not the right. I'm looking to all of you as mentor moms right now because <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how that looks. Like when we see a chi- one of our children that are suffering, it just feels there's a, a different weight on that. Well, I think what you said about you're afraid their faith might fail, that is the the fear behind that. Lord, if you don't show up, he's not going to, he or she's not going to be able to trust you. And that is the conversation that we're having with ourselves. But if you don't have that conversation, then your faith really is built on fake. Yeah, I said this prayer and you delivered and that's how it works in life. But that faith that says, I believe in you and I trust the things you've revealed about yourself even if. Well, and Wendy talked about how, you know, so much of our suffering is just burning off the false gospel, the things yeah, that we've trusted right. ourselves for, the way that we think we've got it figured out and that we've hung the stars in the sky. I mean, she speaks specifically to that when she's walking us through Job. And that sort of faith is when we, we've seen that the Lord is good and trustworthy and that he is there with us in the pit and that he does deliver us and that he is good and faithful, even when our circumstances maybe would tell us otherwise. Mm -hmm. I think God loves us so much too that he doesn't want us to rely on anything other than him. And so sometimes we get this false sense of um, God's love is shown to me by circumstances in my life lining up the way I want. And I remember Mm -hmm. this experience several years ago and I had gone out of town to travel with one of my kids to this literary thing. And it was like the child performed and right off the bat didn't do good and then we went to get lunch and my bank card didn't work like something had happened with money and then my mom was in the hospital at that point and there was like a fourth thing and it was like all I had this moment where I realized I didn't have any safe space right like none of the things that and this was a real turning point in my life because I realized like around that time that it was like God was showing me I used a lot of externals Mm -hmm to bring me peace, things lining up. And it's like, God wants us to know, I'm here with you, even if it's not looking exactly the way you would like, which is, that's where we really grow in that relationship with him. Yeah, yeah, I think Wendy called it the gospel of good choices. I mean, she had a really long name. Do you remember the how- The false one, you mean yeah, the false how, one? I, yeah, I forget what she called it, but basically saying like, our good choices are going to give us a good life and how that's not good news. So, because we're all gonna face the reality of sometimes yeah. we don't have a good life, even though if we did things maybe the way that we should have. Yeah. So. Well, we're oftentimes not used to waiting because yeah. we are people who like to take care of business and get things done. And waiting is waiting. Yeah. And asking and 
not hearing in the way that you think. And I even just like how Wendy points out in Job, don't rush through the laments. And it's a long mm-hmm. lament. Mm-hmm. You read however many 30 plus chapters of that and I'm ready to move on. Let's get to the end where, where God says that Redu- really cool thing in yeah. Job. And she just said you, he needed all of that lament in order to truly understand what God had to say. And that's just hard for me. I want to mm-hmm. skip over the sadness. I don't really want to wait in it yeah. very long. So Certainly for ourselves and, and for our kids. Yeah. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, moving on into chapter 10, Wendy talks about the companionship that she experienced with past saints with a cloud of witnesses. Saints like Elizabeth Elliot and Amy Carmichael, whose stories of loss and faith resonated with her own. And she found companionship with the struggling saints in the Bible, particularly those addressed in the letter of Hebrews. She says... They were languishing in the faith, and I found the encouragement in Hebrews to those limping believers a comforting companion as my faith languished and I limped along too. The author of Hebrews taught that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Like Paul, he taught that a faith pleasing to God endures as proof of what is not seen in Hebrews 11 verse 1. If we saw our circumstances all working out as we expected, we would not experience the furnace that forges the kind of faith we see in those who suffer for extended seasons. Like Job's long season of suffering without understanding God's purposes in it, this very perseverance in seasons of silence without seeing God's solutions is the essence of faith. Simply put, faith exists because we cannot yet see what we hope for. We use the language of tested faith in relation to long seasons of suffering. Suffering tests faith. It proves that our faith is real because we walk by faith when we can no longer walk by sight. So if you haven't read Hebrews chapter 11 recently, stop and read it and just pull it up and have it there with you so you can reference as we talk through this. So that uh, particular letter was written to the persecuted Jewish believers about to endure even more hardship through the destruction of the temple and the dispersion of the Jews. It gives examples of persecuted believers who had gone before and were witnesses of God's faithfulness, even when they didn't get to see in their lifetime the fulfillment of their hope. So among the people that we see in Hebrews chapter 11, what aspects mirror your struggles? Who, who is it that you're resonating with and how does their testimony help you today? You want to start us off, Rachel? You know, I always love the story of Ruth and um, Naomi, just like the idea of faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gabby was talking earlier about having older parents. Um, we have like... Uh, my mom and dad have lived next door to us for like 12 years. And Paul's dad, his mom died unexpectedly many years ago when she was just 49. But Paul's dad has lived up the street. And that can be a struggle sometimes to have elderly parents that you're not actively caring for, but you're the on hand person for all the things. Um, and even as we speak, Paul's dad is in the hospital now. And I'm, you know, kind of just feels very similar to something we, we walked through not that long ago. And I think, you know, I love that the Bible like gives us so many examples that really ins- remind us of the bigger picture and the importance of, for me in this season, faithfulness and kindness and patience. Um, just to kind of look to that and be reminded of the importance of not always making myself the center of the universe, which can be challenging sometimes, you know, like, so just that idea of that kind of faithfulness is inspiring to me. Yeah, that's good. What about you, Gabby? Um, I've, I said, um, Joseph is what resonated with me Mm -hmm. in this something about just when it talked about when he instructed his sons to take his bones with them to the promised land he revealed his conviction that god was doing something that transcended his life on earth just he promised to joseph's great grandfather abraham the fact that ultimate resolution to suffering on earth wouldn't be realized until long after his death did not deter joseph from his confidence it would truly happen and just I don't know, something just, again, about the waiting and about the long suffering, you know, and knowing you may not know 
what the, we don't know the end of the story, you yeah. know. And um, and so I just I was thinking I'm not walking through anything like that right now, but I have a dear friend who's walking through something just so hard. And when she described, she said, feeling like it's sucking the life out of you, you know, and I just have, uh, wow, I have felt like the life has been sucked out. My friend is feeling like that, you know, and the thought of being fruitful in the land of my affliction is an encouragement, you know, that it's not that you're out, that you're going to be out of that affliction and then be fruitful, but it's right now in Mm -hmm. the, and as I walked through, suffering some years ago that's I feel like I was encouraged in that also the same way I am now that we can be fruitful right here in the land of affliction when she said the suffering and the affliction and death to self are essential to God's plan for fruitfulness in his children Joseph's story reminds me that my suffering doesn't end the possibility of fruitfulness but instead it's the very thing that prepares the ground for the fruit that remains and I just that that is exactly what that's the encouragement I need, you know, um, and the encouragement I need for my friend, you know, to be able to share with my friend also. So I love that, too, when you're going through hard seasons, I think, especially as kids get older and you can feel like I remember feeling this, you know, in a certain really tough season um, that I was almost like my joy had to be on hold until this thing was resolved. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling Paul that at, at one point. Um, I feel like I don't get to relax or to live my life or to be joyful until, and then all of a sudden I realized it wasn't in my mind. It wasn't even until this kid got through this season. It was like until all the children have done the things and have proven to me that it's all going to be okay. And, And I remember Paul saying, is it harvest time? And I loved that. Like, it's so easy to feel like I want proof right now that it's all going to look the way I want it to. And in in one, we have to be joyful in the midst of what we have going on. But two, to have that long approach, like, is it harvest time? You know, like, I remember one of my boys didn't know how to tie his shoes. And it was like first or second grade. And I remember just feeling kind of worried about it. But at the same time, and ironically, he was the only left handed kid, and I'm left handed. And I was like, I thought this was just going to be much easier. Like he'd be three and we'd be doing this because we're like (laughs) simpatico. And I remember feeling like, you know what, by the time he's a senior in high school, he'll know how to tie (laughs) shoes, like set the bar really low for Mm -hmm. myself. Um, But that, you know, we have to have that willingness to be like, just because it doesn't look the way I want right this minute doesn't mean it's time for that check to be cashed. So which really encouraged me a lot and uh, continues to for me. Yeah, that's a helpful perspective. And both of you kind of picked up on how we are not the transcendent end of the universe. Like we're not the center of the universe. Like this, the, the story, the global story is not revolving around us. It is around Jesus and his ultimate plan. And I love how you're drawing that out in your personal life. And then also Joseph, like Joseph realizing like there was something bigger than his story at Mm -hmm. work. And that perspective is just super helpful Mm -hmm. and that we can labor, be faithful to the work that God's called us to, even in seasons where it feels like suffering or exile. Yes. Super helpful. All right, let's think about some other Christian witnesses that aren't uh, necessarily a scripture, but just other people that have come before us, their testimony, how it speaks to us and encourages us in our faith. I was thinking about my friend. My friend Sydney is so great about, she reads lots of biographies and I'm just, I'm I'm not so like as I answered it. Well, first I messed up. On, I was reading the question. I was like, "Wait, okay, what is this talking about? Testified to you from the grave of God's faithfulness." Do you see? Like I was instead of yes. testifying to you from the grave, comma of God's faithfulness. I was reading. What does that mean? I don't know. The I don't, grave of God's faithfulness. What is the grave of God's faithfulness? I don't know. That's <laughs> a special thing that I don't 
people know about you. And then I realized, I think okay, that's wait, called heresy. It's actually called heresy. <laughs> You're right, Gabby. So ding, ding, ding. <laughs> you went. Anyway, so, but then so I was like, okay, wait, I need to think about someone who's Pat. And I was like, I don't feel like I have a lot of people. But then I did think. I remembered having read Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, Life Together. Um, it was at the pool one summer that Lacey and I and another friend read Life Together. And have y'all read it? Mm-hmm. I love it so much. Yeah. You know, And I couldn't find my copy this morning. I was looking for it. I was like, I have to have the physical copy. I want to be able to write that. I couldn't find it. But, you know, I can find it on the internet. So anyway, um, because I just, what I loved is how he clung to Christian community, you know, and how he saw it just as a gift, you know, that, it, and that's what it's been for me too. You know, as I've walked through times of suffering, you know, I needed to have just my Christian sisters around me, you know, and and I've had it. I'm so grateful. And I love his quote. This quote says, it is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It's easily forgotten that the fellowship of the Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. So it's clear that Bonhoeffer had Christian brothers who walked with him through suffering, who encouraged him, were there with him and spoke truth to him, and he saw it as a gift. And that's, and that's what I see, too, um, as I've walked through suffering. Love that. That was one of my dad's favorite books. Is, yeah, Life Together. Yeah, yeah. love that. Um, yeah, I was so excited to, to read this question. Um, you know, the idea of the cloud of witnesses or the litany of saints, like all the people that have gone before us that we look to, we get inspired. I love to joke um, as a Catholic that Flannery O'Connor is my patron saint and um, <laughs> she's not a saint, and, right. you know, but, but I love that she was a person who lived her faith in the real world. She used the gifts God gave her um, and she bloomed where she was planted, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So there's something about that that I just really am inspired by and love about her. But I, I wanted to share something really awesome that the Lord did for me. And it was right um, after my dad got diagnosed with brain cancer. So this was back in September. Um, this ca- you know, came out of nowhere. He had been having some funny symptoms. And, and because they live next door to me, I was the one that just kind of that whole week, I'm like taking him to another doctor. Like, we have to get to the bottom of this, you know? And it all kind of came together the Friday of that week. And um, he presented just as he was getting diagnosed, sort of sort of thing. Like, all of a sudden, the weird stuff really came to a head right as I was getting a call to say, hey, this is what they saw. And it, you know, next thing I know, we're in an ambulance on the way to the emergency room. And I just remember, like, it all came out of nowhere. He was still, he had started the school year teaching at the school my kids go to. He was their science teacher. Um, you know, just like a robust, active man. Anyway, we're leaving. I just remember that night or the next night, very early on, and it was like the reality of this and that he was not going to get cured I mean there's just not a cure for it. short of a miracle and you know we're clinging to that and I remember just being in the parking deck and feeling this wave of like I don't want you to go and it was like the Lord gave me a flash of this vision of people um sorry I'm gonna cry mm-hmm. but that's okay um people standing alongside of a the end of a race and I could see the finish line and my dad was going towards it and he had a big smile on his face and these people were cheering for him and they were cheering like not they were cheering they were so excited that he was coming and um and it brought me so much peace the whole rest of the the four months because every time 
you know, that we kind of had a hiccup. I saw that my dad was not leaving something. He was going to something. And it was the people at the finish line were community. It was the people I had grown up with in our neighborhood who had gone before. And Paul's mom was one of them. And then, you know, just different friends who had been good friends of my dad's. And they were waiting for him along with Jesus. But, you know, but I think it was like God allowed me to have a tangible, like, this person's there and they're there. And they were like, and I saw it all in a split second, but it was like that the hope that it gave me for the whole rest of the time was like, I hate that we're going to be separated for a while, but, but you're not leaving, you're going towards something. And I love that God loves us so much. Like there's this whole amazing thing waiting for us after this human life. Um, and we don't understand it and that's okay. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and he also meets us here where we are, but that he gives us just enough of a glimpse to make this bearable, you know, mm-hmm. like to make the separation bearable, which was such a gift. Oh, so beautiful. And he's yeah. more alive than ever, ever. Yes. I can just see that and hear that in your voice. Like when you're talking about him, it's really beautiful. Thank yeah. You thanks. For sharing I that. mean, I feel it. I miss him terribly, oh. but also at the same time, like, I, you know, a few weeks after his funeral, I spoke to a group of women in Savannah and I didn't want to like make it about my dad and I wasn't going to talk about it. But, you know, I said, I just had to say it like all the stuff that we are diving into here, um, you know, really pursuing a relationship with the Lord. Like it was so great to get to stand up in front of this group of women, several hundred women and say, I know it's true because I've experienced surviving the death of someone you love so much, you know, and it's like God is good even when it hurts, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, and I feel like we just it's good to say that, you know, it's a beautiful testimony. Thanks. Very much so. And you're not trying to lead us into the next chapter, but you <laughs> right. have because yeah, you exactly. have taken us to the rock and to the passage in Revelation that we're going to talk about here in a moment where it talks about when God tells us that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And But before we get there, I just want to make a little note. If you haven't read this chapter, it is rich, theologically rich to understand who the rock is and how God has revealed himself to be a rock in the Old Testament and what he reveals about Christ is our rock. And then our cornerstone and our capstone, she goes into that. Just You think cornerstone, you think foundation, and other rocks are built upon it. But she talks about the keystone, that, that word being one that's placed like in the center of an arch, and it holds it all together. It bears all of that weight. And she talks about as sufferers, we bear a lot of weight, and that weight goes on top of all of the normal weight of life. You still have to get up and go to your job and cook for your kids and do laundry and all of the things, and yet it's like you're carrying a large weight on top of all of that and how we just couldn't do that unless Christ bore that weight with us now in this life. And so just the way she describes that is so wonderful. And she talks about all just his initiative and in coming to us and bearing with us and holding all things together and holding us together when all yeah. things are falling apart. So again, if you haven't had a chance to read that chapter, I really do encourage you uh, to get into that because that theology is rich. But we're going to end uh, this time reading Revelation 21, 1 through six. And this is where Rachel really has brought us uh, that vision of, I loved how you said he's not leaving something per se. He's leaving, but he's not leaving the better. He is going from something to something and someone uh, better. And so this is how Revelation puts that. Then I saw a new heaven and this is the apostle John in a vision. This is what he saw. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Ladies, as you have read these verses and then listened to them now, can you envision in your minds this scene with God your Father? And what do you think it will feel like internally as God wipes those tears from your eyes? You know, I think we get little tastes of it here on earth, too, in prayer. And just when you were reading that, it reminded me, I love this line from the the first part of this chapter, where Wendy says, um, suffering involves the loss of something or something we were counting on. And so, of course, we all know that death is part of the deal, even though it's painful when it happens. And, um, you know, it always feels like a shock to the system. But like for her, she talks about divorce and like the death of a dream and the death of her marriage. And that's something that, you know, it's almost easier to take for granted in a way because it's like kind of getting back to what we were saying before. Like if I obey the rules, things will go the way they're supposed to. And that's evidence of God's love for me, right? Is like, I'm being a good person and then I'm getting what I expected to get, right? Mm -hmm. Not even what I deserve or like, but this is what I expected. Um, And so, you know, I I had this experience several years ago. I read a book by Henry Nowen, and it was just a very simple picture book on prayer. And it was this concept. He starts with this idea of an old woman who has her hands in a fist and she goes into a psychiatric ward and they have to like pry something open and she won't let go of this thing that's in her hand. Like it's the thing keeping her safe. And when they finally pry her hands open, like, what do you have? It's a little coin. That was it. And, you know, and and it's this thing she held so tightly that finally she was able to release. And it was like, I realized we have so many little coins like that. And I'm not, they're not even bad things, but that, you know, it's easy to think that we're like our tight grip is the thing that's keeping it all together, you know? And I just remember feeling like I recognized in that moment that prayer for me was showing up in a prayer time and telling God what he needed to fix, you know, like, um, here's what's going on. Here's what I would like for you to fix. And here's how I think you should fix it. <laughs> like I had it all fixed. Well, then prayer was not fun for me because all I did was focus on my problems in prayer, you know? And so really that reality of like the eternal perspective, I think, is recognizing that God does exist so much deeper and wider and eternal than what we have going on right in this minute. And it's very easy to want to focus on the temporal. And it's like God wants to connect with us in a place that's even more sacred than the things going on in our life. And and I'll just end by saying, I did have a moment where um, very early on after my dad had died, there was a beautiful sunset. And I feel like I see him in sunsets a lot. Like I just, you know, I'm like, hi, dad, I miss you. And, um, you know, I said, look at that beautiful sunset. And I felt like I heard my dad say, that's nothing compared to what I'm seeing. And it just, I know it was just like, like every time I'm tempted to be sad, I just, all I can think is like, oh my gosh, he's at the best party that there ever was. And and the truth of that really has to bring us so much comfort and joy, you know? Wow. Thank you for that, Rachel. I, I have not, I mean, I, and my grandmother died years ago and I, and I feel similarly, there were similar type things, but I haven't had anybody die recently. So just to be encouraged by that, that 
I need to be reminded of that. And, you know, and I need to read Revelation over and over again. I need to. So when I read it, yes, I can envision. I can envision it. But can I? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I really can, you know. And so I feel like you just talking about it, about your dad, just really brings it so much more. And talking about the sunset. I mean, that's just, yeah. So I said, you know, I mean, it just like feels like. To try to even put it into words, I don't know that you really can, you know. And so I, I, I said, I think I would feel a supernatural peace like I've never felt before. I would feel pure love with no shame, no mm-hmm. condemnation, no embarrassment, just pure love emanating from a father who loves every part of me. And that's it. That's what I thought as God wiped the tears from my eyes. That's what I would feel like. Mm-hmm. So. That that part that you said that's pure because mm-hmm. you're right. We get tastes of it here. But it's going to be pure right. there. All right. of that's in me. That's the inability to fully grasp that, see that, embrace that, all of that. And it is hard, like you said, to think about reading that repetitively and taking my mind off the temporal. But my mind is often so set on the temporal right. that the eternal almost holds no meaning it, without me really working you know, yeah. to, to think about it. Yeah. And if I don't think about it, it's, it, it doesn't offer comfort because... Right. It, it doesn't seem real. Yeah. Yeah. And so. I think the concept of eternity is so freaky. I mean, it's yeah. like our brain yeah. is not designed to exist outside of time at this point. And I remember being a small child and thinking about eternity. I was one of those lighthearted kids, I guess, and uh, <laughs> running out of my room and like almost having a panic attack of like, time goes uh, on forever. It yeah. never ends. And I remember my mom and dad being like, it's, it's okay. It's going to be all good things. But it's like, then it, it, it's not like now where it's like the laundry never ends or there's always a carpool to get, you know, it's like the reality of eternity is it's like all the best of the best, yes. you know, it's not tiring and, and getting more. So it's, it's rejuvenating right. always yes. continually. And if you think about those verses, we do see even in scripture that, that God has come to dwell with man and we get a, a glimpse of what that's like in our lives, but then in, in the pages of the Bible mm-hmm. where he talks about what it looks like to dwell with man. And we see the result. Well, uh, results isn't the right word, but we see what it is when God comes to dwell with man and then springs of water of life mm. like without cost. Yeah. So much of that resonates. So the first thing I thought Gabby was the Shalom. I mean, you grow up mm. in VBS hearing mm-hmm. that word and not really, I guess, getting a hold of it, but just thinking of how there will be just peace and how it is almost like that back to the garden feel of where there's just endless beauty and the the feasting that you're talking about, Rachel, just like how that our God is a God who is with us, that celebrates with us, that there is good things to smell and to visit and just all the good stuff, like all the good stuff mm-hmm. will be there and we will be whole. I think that just kind of talking about community, like being whole in his presence with no shame, man, that's huge. I think that that's yeah, just even that. hard to imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just showing up whole in the presence of the Lord with his people and just being able to enjoy that, like truly enjoy it. That's amazing. Yes, yes. Well, Gabby and Rachel, we do thank you all for joining us today. It was an enjoyable conversation. And listeners, if you've been listening all through the summer, I hope you have found some companionship. We hope you will join us again in two weeks for the first episode in a new fall series where we're going to be talking with various people about the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk was a prophet who wrote out the complaints and doubts that he took before God. He also put words to the way God answered him and who God showed himself to be. Habakkuk is a short book jammed packed with language and theology that will help those who find themselves doubting God to take their doubts to him so that they can hear the powerful things he has to say in response. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while she sings. It is the Lord who 
rises with healing in his wings when comforts are declining he grants the soul again a season of pure shining to cheer it after the rain 